Welcome to my podcast. My name is Jamin Gerker. I'm a realtor in South Central Alaska, and my mission is to help people build intentional and significant legacies for themselves and their families by coaching them in real estate. And the purpose of this podcast is to really shine light on what it's like living in Alaska and talk about those local issues, not coming just from me, but from people who actually live here. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing Eric Boltman with Real Property Management, RPM. And he's a, he's a property manager here in the area, here in Anchorage. And they've been you know, a high-performing company here for years. And for that reason, they're absolutely great, uh, great guy to bring on and talk about what it's like being a, being a property manager here in Anchorage. So uh, please er- welcome Eric Boltman. Hey, dude. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. Took some back awesome. and forth, but we finally made yeah. this happen. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm glad we did. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, I guess one of the, the big questions I have right off the bat here, um, I think it was about two years ago, almost to the day where you know everything happened with COVID and there was the, the moratorium going around. There was a big prediction that um, just the property owners you know, with rental properties, we're going to get hit super hard because no one was going to pay rent all of a sudden. Um, has that been your experience here in the Anchorage market that a lot of renters have just, you know, stopped paying rent during the moratorium? Well, it's, it's a more complicated equation than that. So, you know, like a common question we get from investors is they'll say, well, what's the vacancy rate? And it's not to say that that's a bad question. That is a good question to ask. However, the answer is more complicated. So for example, on the vacancy rate question, it depends. What type of housing are we talking about, right? It's like saying, well, what are used car prices doing? I don't know, are we talking like one-year-old used F-150s or are we talking 25-year-old Corollas? You know, those are different markets. And so um, to, you know, to get back to your question, it, it depended on where they were. What we generally saw was that in the A and B class properties. So, and just to put a finer point on that. So A class is your, we, you know, we consider those like your upper end homes. Okay. The stuff that would typically be 500 and above in today's market, as far as the sales price. Then you have B class, which is most of your middle income housing. And we typically start considering it B class, usually when you have a washer dryer and unit, condos, townhomes, uh, affordable single family homes. So in the A and B class, we really didn't see a lot of people have trouble. Um, We worked really closely with Alaska Housing. We helped, we actually, uh, with the help of uh, Widener, we were very instrumental in helping them put together the rent relief program because I, I did an interview on a radio station with one of the guys from Alaska housing. And he put it very well. He said, this was like going from, you know, going from their, you know, rent relief voucher program to trying to support half the state was like going from the high school kid that mows lawns to a commercial farming operation overnight. I thought he he put that really well. So, you know, in the B class um, and A class homes, we saw people participate in the program, but to a far lesser degree where most of that, help went as you would expect was in the lower income Um, where it's been a little bit frustrating for us is seeing people like with any government program like that is the abuse that happens 
Um, even as people were tapering off the program, we've gotten some gnarly Google reviews just because we wouldn't help them defraud the government. You know, like they would, they would end, the, they would end their lease. They would still have funds available. And it was our obligation to send those funds back to Alaska housing. And they would say, no, you, you need to write me a check for those funds. And when we didn't, right. Cause that's fraud. Right. When we didn't, you know, then they would write us Google, nasty Google reviews. So it's been kind of all over the board. Um, I know a lot of the, the low income C-class uh, properties. Uh, it's been a rough couple of years for them. A lot of tenants not paying or slow to pay, or, you know, but I really, I got to give credit to Alaska Housing. They did an amazing job. Um, if you paid attention and you followed the rules, it, you probably were okay during all this. So, um, but I think it has given some of the investors pause on, and I'm seeing national data to the same effect that they're maybe looking at upscaling their portfolio a little bit to maybe de-risk and move into uh, a portfolio that doesn't just have low income properties, but maybe is a mix of low and middle income properties, if that makes sense. Right. No, that, that totally makes sense. I mean, that's because I think a lot of investors right now are getting sticker shock with them, the price of, of properties right now. And unfortunately, a lot of their, their models are kind of based on, on formulas back in the early 2000s or even the 90s. Yep. And they're stuck yep. in kind of this, this strategy of, okay, we just got to we got to get the property at like half its actual value and all this crazy stuff. It's like, that's not going to happen. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. a lot of people, kind of their their natural instinct right now is to, uh, or the strategy should be that they're just going to take what they have and upgrade it, like you were saying, and to add more value to it instead of necessarily mm-hmm. going out and buying new properties. That's that's one strategy. Um, it certainly does work. I mean, I'm looking at it with, uh, with a property of mine right now, but yeah. Okay. So there's a... Yeah, it's, if you got, it's, if you got I, the right if you got the right strategy and you know kind of what you're you're doing in this market, you have a good sense of what you're doing and mm-hmm. sense of time and place for where we're at right now. You can still buy a, a great investment property; and it works just fine. Um, yeah, like I'm um, telling investors right now when they're when they're talking to me, I tell them, you know, if you buy something right now at retail price, okay, and and you have to remember that is it probably going to feel a little overpriced right now? And will it be a little overpriced right now? Probably. I mean, if, if I'm being, if I'm being intellectually honest, however, um, if you look at a property and say, you know, I'm telling friends, like, could you hold this property for 10 years? If you could hold that property for 10 years, trust me, you'll be fine. Okay. But if, if you're running the numbers and this only works if rents go up and they probably will. Right. But if the numbers only work, if, if you can raise rents after you purchase it, then I would maybe be a little bit more cautious or maybe you just say, and this is a common frustration I have is for some reason, you know, with, when it comes to us as investors, we, we, if I'm investing in stocks, I plan on spending money. 
But there's a lot of people that it's like we've been trained by all the kind of fake gurus that that real estate is this magical investment where you never really have to spend money. You just make it. You just, oh, it's all debt. It's all OPM, you know? And yes, those concepts are sound, but at the same time, like it may be that you buy a property that might be flat or zero cash flow or, or maybe even a tiny bit negative cash flow for the first few years. But if in the long run, you're looking at that and saying, yeah, that's still a long-term investment, then I'd say, go ahead and press with it. But just, you know, make sure that your financial position is one where you could survive it going negative for a period of time, but in the long run, it's still going to make you money. Right. And I think that's definitely a mistake I see a lot of first-time investors make is they kind of get into this mindset like this one property is going to be the thing that's going to make them financially independent. And it's like, no, it's if you're going for long-term investment properties, you're unless you're buying a 30 plex or something like that, it's just not likely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Unless your rich uncle died and you're buying that giant 30 plex and yeah. Yeah. Now, unless you've got like straight up cash and you can just buy that fourplex outright and suddenly what used to be a mortgage payment suddenly becomes cash flow, then, but yeah, mm -hmm. that's not very likely. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm glad you kind of talked about the increase of rental prices because we kind of talked before I have, um, uh, there was only two fourplexes all last year that, that sold in Eagle River. I had the fortune to buy one of them. And I mean, it was a you know, great property came in here and rents for, I think like 13 or 1330, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> we knew it was under rented at the time. We were hoping for like 1500 and I came in, we got 16, 1650. So that obviously does awesome things for the bottom line, but um, how much have you seen the, the rental prices go up in the past couple of years? Oh, okay. So I would just a normal, healthy market. I would describe as like, you're out on a boat and you have swells, right? And you can generally see the swell coming. It slowly lifts the boat and then you can see the trough coming and it slowly sinks the boat. Right. And, and so you have these kind of waves that, that roll through the market right now, I would describe as choppy. Um, you know, it, it seems to change on a week to week basis. I'll have just insane demand one week. And then the next I'm struggling to rent, a, you know, a similar property. But overall, um, I really think if you look at asset prices, if you look at the cost of everything right now, you know, and it's not just gas, but rents are absolutely skyrocketing. Now, as a property manager, as a guy who makes a percentage of the rent, right, I should be really, really excited about that. And don't get me wrong, I am, right? However, um, it's almost like the rents are going up a little, a little too fast for my taste. Does that make sense? And I'm worried that, you know, as, as an American, as an Alaskan, that I'm worried, I'm almost worried that they're going, that they're, they're just like so many other things, they're outpacing wages. Does that make sense? So 
at the end of the day, my job is to make as much money for you, the property investor, as possible. So I'm going to raise the rents as much as I can to make you money. Um, but we're seeing we're seeing four and six hundred dollar rent raises in between tenants. Ooh. Yeah, big, big, big. Now, especially so, I did a class. This this really illustrates the 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 imbalance between supply and demand right now. So I did a class a couple of years ago for our Landlord's Almanac group, which you can find on Facebook if you're, if you're interested in checking that out. Look up the Landlord's Almanac Alaska. Um, I did a class and one of the points I was trying to drive home was, hey, when you're making a Craigslist ad, you need to really put some effort into this. I was sick of seeing Craigslist ads with terrible pictures and dirty rooms and or no pictures at all or terrible descriptions and my point was i took a screenshot of craigslist and said look there's 2800 other listings you're competing with right so the other day one of my you know one of my employees and i we sat down and we did the same thing we looked at it it was 524 so we went from 2,800 as just a random sample a couple of years ago of what was sitting on the market in, in Craigslist to 524. Then you go to Craigslist and I would encourage any of your listeners to go do this. Um, look at Craigslist, look at all the listings available on Craigslist. Just as we're just, all we're doing is we're taking a pulse of the market right now. Okay. Then Narrow it down just to single family or, or townhomes, and it dropped to 24. That's insane. So if you have a condo, a townhouse, a single family home, uh, you are on the right side of that supply demand scale, big time. Um, that's where we're seeing the huge jumps. Now, if you stick to... If you're a fourplex owner, and, and I'm going to say kind of like your typical fourplex, you know, your coin-op laundry in one room and, you know, that kind of thing, the more commoditized stuff, you got to remember you're competing with, you know, things like Widener, right, that have, I think it's like 4,600 or 4,200 units just in Anchorage alone. Right. That, there's not nearly the supply-demand imbalance. And so you're we're not seeing the insane rent raises in that like two bedroom apartment kind of stuff. Now take, I know your fourplex cause I used to have a fourplex on just on a different street, probably less than a block from you, right? Over right. on park place street. And now that's a little bit, that's almost creeping into that B class territory. Cause you probably have washer and dryer and unit, right? Yep. Each unit has got one or two garages per unit. Yep. 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 I know the floor plan. Yeah. So those are going to behave more like a B-class unit. And those we are seeing the crazy three, four, five, six hundred dollar jumps in between tenants. Now, and, and I'm not I know I'm babbling on here, but bear with me. If if you're listening to this right now and you're the guy like Jamin that has a has a, a one of those fourplexes that's going to be in really high demand that um that one with a washer and dryer in it and a garage. Don't do that to your tenants that you have currently, right? That would not be my recommendation. If you have good tenants, keep them, maybe do a mild rent raise, but I would not go running them out the door 
because you got to remember that there's a cost to that as far as vacancy days, turnover costs, et cetera. So you got to look at that big picture and say, well, I mean, realistically, everybody thinks they're going to start, you know, marketing their property while it's still getting remodeled. I'd recommend against that. Like, so let's say realistically it takes you 30 days. So right off the bat, like in your example, you, you lost $1,600, right? Cause that's, you lost your rent money. Let's add some repair costs. Let's call it an even 2000. So whatever rent raise you do, you have to make up that ground on that rent raise. So if you have good tenants, I'd say, are they probably due for a rent raise? Probably if they've been there for a couple of years, probably, but be careful getting too aggressive with that. Right. I mean, usually a, a good conversation of just saying, Hey, this is what the market currently is. I don't want to just do that to you though. I, you know, like you guys, you're paying on time. You're doing exactly what you need to do, but you know, we are looking at kind of a moderate increase, maybe not up to the full market of value, mm-hmm. but I'll give you some kind of a discount here just because you guys have, have been so good to work with. Bingo. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's really what I did with one gentleman here. I mean, this guy is like absolute rock star. <laughs> I love this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I was looking at it. I was like, okay, realistically 1600. Um, I know once that place is vacant, it's like $50 every day that it's sitting vacant. Cause I, I did the math yep. for it, <laughs> but yep. Yep. $1,500 um, yeah. a month divided by 30. Yep. About 50 bucks yep. a day. And I was like, mm-hmm. tell you what, we'll go like $50 under market value. You're getting, you know, you're still, you know, underpaying for what the market value is. And he was like, yep, sure. That works. So, I mean, it worked for everybody, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's totally just understanding your numbers and not just getting fixated just on one thing. You know, it's kind of goes back to <clears throat> getting the sticker shock and just getting fixated on the, the asking price. The same thing can happen for rental income too. Yeah. And I would say if you own a place in the Valley, um, you'd be surprised how high your rents are right now, how high, high they could be. It's I've seen uh, just shy of a 30% jump in rents in the Valley in the last really? Oh okay. yeah. Easy. Easy. And is, is that across all classes or is it still pretty isolated to the, to the A and B classes? Um, there aren't, the massive apartment complexes in the valley. So I would say as a whole, the valley is the supply is far outstripped by demand. Demand far exceeds how much housing there is in the valley. Um, The other thing I would caution you is you're going to see, you're going to get a lot of applications right now. Um, one of the things to be aware of is really do your due diligence. Okay. And, and let me say this to all of you who think, have have you ever seen the, uh, this, the kind of study where they say, Hey, you know, are you a better than average driver? Right. And everybody goes, Oh yeah. Oh, oh, I totally am. Right. Well, people do the same thing with, thinking they're a better than average judge of character, okay? Take it from a guy who sees 900 background checks a year, you need to be doing background checks, okay? So if you think you're gonna shake their hand and, oh, well, I can just tell they're a good person and I don't need to do a background check, you're wrong, 
I can say that definitively. You are wrong. You need to do background checks right now because there are a lot of people providing, um, I shouldn't say a lot, but it's happening, falsified employment documentation. People, are, they're desperate. They're desperate to get into a home right now and they will do what it takes to get in. Um, so you need to do your due diligence on those applications. And the good news is for investors is that you can maybe upgrade your tenants right now. If you've got that fourplex and you are just absolutely sick of that guy in unit three, well, guess what? Today might be the day, you know, maybe, maybe it's time he got the 30 day notice if he's on month to month and say, sorry, dude, you're out of here. And this is a good time of year to do that because you're going to see demand uh, creep up as we go into spring with PCS moves and that kind of thing. So um, overall, the market, I'm really bullish for investors right now to, you know, both in Anchorage and the Valley, I think you can, you can raise rents, you can clean house a little bit. And um, really like since 2015, rents were going down and we've seen that completely re reverse now. So yeah, if somebody's a constant late payer and they're, you know, turning in baloney work orders or they're just being a pain in your butt, now's a great time to, to get rid of them and find somebody who can pay their bills more consistently. Right, right. Yeah, that's, uh, that is a pretty favorable trend for investors. Cause yeah, like you said, in this area, it's, it's been on the exact opposite direction with rents trending down mm -hmm. you know, over the past, uh, past five years or so. So mm -hmm. uh, this is going in the right direction, at least mm -hmm. if, if you're an investor. So yeah, I guess one question I do have then, what are some of the bigger mistakes you see kind of landlords and investors making right now as they're um, deciding what it is that they, they want to do with their, their investments at the moment? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, number one, we kind of already covered, run a background check. Um, if you don't know where to go to start, you can go to our website, thelandlordsalmanac.com. You'll see a link that says tenant screening. Um, we worked out a deal with TransUnion where you can do that. The tenant pays for their own background check. You get a very you get a a credit report that is as good as what I'm using at a professional level, um, but it's presented in a way that's a little bit easier to understand. You don't have to be a guy who looks at 900 background checks to know what you're looking at. It it will give you a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a kind of in the middle, like a green, yellow, red. Um, it's really easy to use. So again, that's Landlord's Almanac, or excuse me, thelandlordsalmanac.com and click on tenant screening. So run a background check. That's a big one. Run a background check, run a background check, run a background check. Um, yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I, I was almost guilty of that when I was renting this property out because, you know, I, um, you know, called some folks and, um, you know, she sounded really straight laced, very ready to go. They like, really income qualified really easily. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. this should be a home run. And he worked on the oil field. So I'm doing a background check and I'm like, okay, well, oil field, usually sometimes you get kind of a rougher crowd there. I'm mm -hmm. okay. At least on the, the court view background check there, as mm -hmm. long as it's not like a, a violent or, you know, um, yeah. you know, sexual, you know, anything like that, then yeah, I'm usually okay with it. I'm a background check. Um, but yeah, I was like, man, this guy is squeaky clean, not even a 
speeding ticket or anything, but she, on the other hand, had like two pages worth of, mm-hmm. worth of stuff. Um, a lot of which was like um, eviction court and small claims court. And I was like, holy cows. Yep. Yep. So that's a great point. So court view, um, you got to remember court view. We use court view on a daily basis. We use court view as a way to corroborate what we're seeing on a, on a background check. However, it is not a replacement. You got to remember it is not financial. There's no, you can have somebody that's got absolutely squeaky clean criminal and has maybe narrowly avoided every eviction, but is financially is an absolute mess, right? So court view is a, one of the tools in the toolbox, but um, do not rely on it entirely. And um, so, yeah, I would use you know use court view but just remember that uh, it's not a replacement it's an aid in in looking at that because it doesn't tell you whether they pay your bills it just tells tells you whether they you know stay out of trouble with the law and the other thing is um based on fair housing law and this is uh recently this is fairly recent is you cannot consider anything greater than seven years old so you have to be blind to that Right. If they had a an eviction eight years ago, that doesn't exist in your world as far as the law is concerned. Interesting. So the nice thing is we'll have so we'll have people that it's like clearly I don't want to rent to this person, right? Eviction, 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 small claims, but say it's all outside of that seven year span. That then and we go, I really don't want to rent to this person, but I can't legally tell them no based on this data that's greater than seven years old, right? Now, what I can do is I can look at, um, I can look at usually the, the really gnarly criminal stuff. You can, you can see it also on their credit report as far as like, they generally are not the best at paying their bills either. And so now that you can legally say no to all day long. Um, the other thing to consider is both at a federal and state level, you cannot, just because somebody has a felony doesn't mean that you can deny them. What the the federal government and the states have said is that you need to justify why that offense is going to prevent them from having housing. And that includes the really gnarly stuff like, um, you know, sex abuse. And so, and that's hard for a lot of landlords to stomach. But if you look at it from the legislator's point of view, is do we want all these people to be homeless? What's their option? You know, so you have to, that's the nice thing about having a credit report as well, is that now you have this other thing that you can deny on if it's somebody that you really aren't comfortable renting to. Usually there's stuff on the credit report that you can cite as your reason for why you're going to deny them. But you got to remember if the next person comes along and you really like them and their credit's just as bad, but they don't have the criminal, you can't turn around and accept them because if there was a fair housing complaint, you got to, anything you do as far as accepting or denying an applicant, always remember if, if I was standing in front of a judge, could I, with a straight face, um, explain to a judge why I made this decision? 
Right. And I think that's uh, that's something that really does bring up an important point that most people don't um, consider discrimination as as being what kind of fair housing is looking at, because it's not just, oh, we deny housing to so-and-so because of their, you know, their, uh, their race, their gender, their marital status. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it can just be that, you know, oh, I like this person, you know, a little bit more because this, this, and this, and that's why they got it. Well, that's, that's discrimination too. And he, mm-hmm. it can be in the discrimination in the positive sense as well. Yeah. So yeah. with tenants, when they're applying and we, we can really get weeded here. So mm-hmm. we'll um, yeah, sure. keep one or one or two more questions on this topic and moving along. But with, um, yeah, looking at the um, people that are applying, do you owe an explanation to everybody on why you didn't accept their application? Yeah, the correct way to do it is produce what's called an adverse action letter. Um, and what you're in plain language, what you're saying is, Jamin, thank you for your application on 1234 Main Street. Unfortunately, we have decided to deny your application based on information produced by, you know, fill in the bank, TransUnion, Experian, et cetera. If you believe that information is in error, please contact TransUnion, Experian, whomever, right? So what you're saying is, based on information produced by this third party, I've denied your application. If you think that's an error, don't bring it up with me, bring it up with the guy who produced that information. And that's what's called an adverse action letter. And um, you could probably Google one, you know, if you, if you needed to put one together, but um, yeah. And we've had situations where I've had people come to me and say, Hey, I was a victim of identity theft or I was evicted. I was a dumbass college student you know, here's the rest of the story and we've continued right. to rent to them. Right. Right. What we're look, I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for, you know, choir boys. I'm looking for people who, you know, if they've made mistakes, have they learned from them, move on, et cetera. Um, you know, if you're looking for perfect people, you're going to have an awful hard time renting your place. But what you're looking for is, you know, if they've made mistakes, have they moved on? Have they learned? Have they, what has been their history, their payment history recently? And that's, that's really the big thing. Cause I mean, I mean, me personally, it's like, Hey, I know people make mistakes and eventually their debt to society needs to be considered paid. You need to just let them move on. But mm-hmm. what you're looking for are those, those patterns, you know, like mm-hmm. you said, have they moved on? Have they grown? Did they learn? Or is, is this just going to be the, the same, uh, the same pattern? Only difference is I'm going to be stuck paying the are, bill. Are, are you the next victim? Yeah. Am I going to be the next victim of this yeah. bad pattern? So mm-hmm. not saying just because someone's got a record like that, you just say no, but you can't make a good decision until you know all the information. So thank you. Mm-hmm. So let's see here. Um, if you were, okay, I think we already kind of talked about that. Um, oh, Hey, can I touch on one more thing on the whole mistakes that are common that investors do? Absolutely. Don't rent to friends and family. Please don't rent to friends and family. Please, 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 please. I'll tell you a horror story. So we had two sisters. One sister decided to use a property manager, us. The other decided we were too expensive. 
Now the gal decided we were too expensive, went and rented to one of her friends. Mm. Fast forward one year, she's on the table giving birth to her first child and the process server walks in the door and serves her with the lawsuit that her friend just filed. Wow. Yeah. I've seen the gnarliest, nastiest lawsuits and situations have been running to friends and family. If you are an experienced investor and your friend would like to rent from you, politely decline. Say, I don't want to mix friends, family, and finances. But I tell you what, because I kind of know what I'm looking at, I'll help you find a place. Right? I'll help you read the lease. I'll help you da-da-da-da-da. Help them out, but do not rent to them. That's another huge mistake I see. Yeah, because I mean, then as a landlord, how are you going to like enforce rules? Can you have that same conversation with them as you're going to have with everyone else? Mm-hmm. Going, kind of going back to liability too. What if they're behind on their on their payments? You cut them slack. Someone else is behind on their payments. You don't cut them slack. Mm-hmm. Well, now you're in violation of fair housing because you're. Do you want to evict your sister? Yep. Do you you know? Do you want to evict your buddy? Do you, what do you do? I mean, what do you do when your buddy is, you know, you're sitting around the kitchen table with, you know, your husband or wife and they're going, you know, so-and-so's missed two rent payments. We're hurting. We're going to miss, we're going to miss a mortgage payment, right? You want to be in that situation with your buddy, man. Yeah. Just, just don't rent to friends and family period. That's uh that's a big one. I mean, I, I understand in some communities, like I was talking with somebody in Ketchikan and um, she's got a rental property down there. I think it's a fourplex if I recall correctly. And she said, yeah, I have never rented to someone I didn't know. And it was like, Ugh. Ugh. That's, yeah, uh, that's tough in a smaller town, but we've got that yeah. luxury here in Anchorage. You, you can mm-hmm. find people. <laughs> one, one last big one. If you're an investor looking for a property to purchase, here's a good rule of thumb. Okay. What everybody likes to do when they're learning investing is they go to bigger pockets, they learn how to run some equations, they learn how to run cash on cash return, they learn how to run cap rate, and they go to, and I, you and I can't talk about what neighborhood, but you know, let's say one of the rougher neighborhoods, and they look at a fourplex and they go, holy smokes, look at this. The numbers are amazing. And they always are. In the worst neighborhoods, the numbers are always the best. However, there, there's a lot of stuff going on that I will not eat up the rest of the podcast with <laughs> that will eat up that, those numbers, the stuff that doesn't fit neatly into a, into a spreadsheet. Um, so what I would say as a general rule is if you would not let your 18-year-old daughter live in that neighborhood, or you wouldn't like it if your 18-year-old daughter was living in that neighborhood, don't buy a property there. If you just follow that rule, you will generally stay out of it. And a lot of guys will do this where they buy their first place on an FHA or VA. And because they have to live there for the first year of that loan, they're real picky about that neighborhood. And then they they get done and they're like, man, I'm the next Donald Trump. I'm amazing. I'm just, I'm a real estate God. And then... Then they go out, they start running numbers and they start buying in these shady neighborhoods and they wonder where all their cash flow went. 
And it's like, well, yeah, the first time you didn't know it, but you were making better decisions because you had to live there. You didn't want your car broken into. But now that you don't have to live there anymore, you're making different decisions. And that's where the mistakes come. Exactly. And that's, you know, I, <clears throat> I'm not going to tell my, uh, my investor clients where to buy, where not to buy. Obviously, that's, that's 100% mm -hmm. illegal. But I do always counsel them, hey, you might want to check out the crime map. And just be aware that with a higher cap rate does usually come more of a headache. Yep. Yep. You, I mean, trust me, you can make money in the tougher neighborhoods, but it's what I call master's level investing. You really got to know what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I've seen <clears throat> it work great for people who have like come from those neighborhoods and mm -hmm. they just know it inside and out. And it's like, man, that is such a powerful niche for them to have, mm -hmm. but for mm -hmm. people who aren't used to working in um in an environment like that with a much higher cap rate for a reason, mm -hmm. then uh, you really you're gonna be in over your head very quickly, and you're gonna have a lot of situations where you have no idea what to do. And your best bet is to to call Eric and see if he can help. <laughs> yeah, and and I'll be honest with you, we're not taking those kind of neighborhoods right now. We're not yep. taking those properties right now. And you know, I mean. The first time you have to strap on a bulletproof vest or the first time you wish you had a bulletproof vest on, you're going to, and that happened to me three weeks ago. You know, you're going to be really considering your, you know, reconsidering your investment decisions. Um, because that is no joke. That's not just, ooh, it's icky. You know, no, that, that can be legitimately dangerous. You know, dealing with, I mean, I, I've seen, I've evicted pimps, heroin dealers, meth dealers. I've worked with the FBI. I've gone in with, I've strapped on a vest and a gun and gone into places with um, six, eight state troopers, two APD, and just got off the phone with the FBI about this tenant. Like, this is no joke. This is dangerous stuff. And so that's where, you know, we as both as, as investors ourselves and as property managers, you know, it becomes a, it becomes a safety issue at a certain point. You go, I'm not going to send, I'm not going to send that 19 year old UAA intern in, into this house or this, this fourplex, you know, she's not safe there. So it, um, yeah, I would say just, you know, neighborhood matters, you know, what, how does it go, Jamin? It goes neighborhood, neighborhood, and I can re never remember the, or no, oh, location, location, I can never remember the third one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally true. <laughs> totally so. true. Yeah. And that's the, uh, I would say that's probably the biggest mistake I've seen in bet new investors make is they do that. They just see the numbers and they get, I mean, like, again, they just get fixated just on a formula mm -hmm. and it's, formula is a great place to start, but you don't make entire decisions based off of that. So they just get fixated yep. on that. And then they get like, really get a bad experience. They get burned out and they just decide, well, real estate investing is, it's just a crack shoot. I absolutely hate this. And you know, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to go do something else. I'm going to go and they invest get burned in the stock market and they get burnt out. Yep. So, yep. 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 Start. And I'm not saying start with a middle-class home. That's not a good strategy either, but like your fourplex, uh, you know, in, in that, the part of Eagle river, I know you're talking about, that was my first fourplex too, was on park place street. That was a great starter fourplex. We still had challenges, 
but it wasn't stuff that we couldn't handle as a beginner. Um, you know, and it's, and I'll say this as a property manager, right? I would love it if everybody listening signed up with me, but I'll be completely honest with you. I like it when you manage your own place for the first round. Because once you know what we're having to deal with, the first, like, once you've gotten that 3 a.m. clogged toilet call, you learn to actually appreciate what we do. <laughs> and you're a lot easier to deal with as a customer. It's the guy who buys his first place, immediately hands it off to a property manager, and they think that we're always ripping them off, right? Because they don't know. They don't know what this involves. And so I actually like new investors to manage their, manage their first place for a while, do it for at least a year, and then come talk to us. And right. then we then we have a much more like kind of uh, symbiotic relationship. Yeah, it's uh, they definitely have a lot more respect and uh, appreciation for what all goes on behind the scenes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, let's get down some more tactical questions real quick here, and sure. um, we'll we'll go ahead and and close it out here today. So, uh, number one, if you have for people who might be out of state, they might not know what Alaska housing is. It's a corporation that's set up to kind of help Alaskans pay for rent and housing when they're falling on hard times. Um, how do you handle it when somebody approaches you and say that they need uh, rental assistance, which is different from a voucher, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, how do you handle it when they say that they need rental assistance with Alaska housing? Sure. So, it depends on if current tenants right now, we are working as much as possible with them because I want them to continue to pay. We want to be a force for good in the community. Um, so we're working with that as much as possible. Um, as far as when it comes to if someone is applying to move into a property, we don't currently live there. We, we and this is a decision you can make as an investor, but we are not currently accepting rental assistance as proof of income. Does that make sense? So, so what I'm, I'm saying is, I'm not saying you're not allowed to get rental assistance. No, get all the rental assistance you can. But I need to see you qualify for that property based on the money that will be here a year from now as well. I know. So, um. What, what we're doing is if someone says, hey, I'm getting rental assistance from like my tribal council or from Alaska housing, great. What else do you got? Are you working? Um, because it's certainly not hard to find a job right now. So I want to see them qualify based on their income. And then if they want to use rental assistance to sweeten the pot, great. But I'm not going to qualify you based on the money you're getting from a rental assistance. Yeah. And it's, it's when people really start qualifying based off of that, um, again, is kind of where things start to kind of go sideways and you start getting yourself into, um, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. so I guess the other question is what's the difference between rental assistance and a rental voucher? Cause this is one issue that I, I see sure. investors run into up here and it's a, kind of a big difference. So I, Okay, I'm I'm not an expert expert on this, but I have done. I mean, I've done hundreds of Alaska housing vouchers. So, an Alaska housing voucher is a longer term program to help disadvantaged and low income families find housing that works for them. Um, what it is, 
administ it is administered by Alaska Housing, but it's regulated by Housing and Urban Development. And what they do is they have a voucher. You'll typically see the voucher will accommodate usually around 72% of their housing costs. It can be a great program for investors. One of the other things that really helps, and I've used this successfully several times, you got to remember, if they get evicted, they have um, they will lose that housing voucher forever. So if, if they get into a point where you're going into uh, an eviction court with them, a successful tactic I've used is I've told them, I said, listen, you know, hey, I'll meet them literally at the courthouse door. Like we're just about to walk into the courthouse. And I say, hey, Jamin, come here for a second. Hey, my name's Eric Boltman. This is my attorney. And today we're going to go into the courtroom and the judge is going to want to know one thing and one thing only. And that's, did you pay rent? And you didn't. And what that means is I'm going to get my eviction and you're going to lose your housing voucher forever. Now I'm willing to make you a deal. I'm willing to to sign an affidavit in front of the judge that says you will not only move out by a certain date that we'll both agree to, but that we'll put together a payment plan where you can make my investor whole. Now, if you do that, we're not going to pursue an eviction, which means that you get a clean record, you get to keep your Alaska housing voucher, you get, you're gonna make the investor whole and we're gonna part as friends. If you don't want to sign this affidavit, I'm going to get my eviction. You're going to lose that housing voucher. That has worked every single time except for one. And she was high on heroin at the moment. So that was a different story. Fine. But yeah, not, 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 not operating with a full deck. So, um, so there's huge advantages to Alaska housing. Um, it, it, at the end of the day, it's it, when you hit hard times, Alaska housing voucher tenants do okay because most of their housing is getting paid for. The other side of the coin is it's it's complicated, it's time consuming, there's extra accounting to do, but generally I'm positive on Alaska Housing. Gotcha. A rental assistance voucher is a short-term pot of money to help families in need. Okay, but it's temporary. It's short, it's shorter term than Alaska Housing Voucher. So Rental assistance is okay, but again, I'll go back to what I said before. I, I wouldn't qualify them based on the fact that they have rental assistance. I want to see what their income is, qualify for them for the housing based on that. And then if they want to use the housing assistance after that, or excuse me, rental assistance after that, then knock yourself out. Is that, that kind of clarify it? It kind of does. So one thing that I did here was that with the voucher program, like the Alaska housing has a lot more requirements on what exactly your property has to have. And they're going in there and, and checking things mm -hmm. um, on the property. Is that been your experience? It's pretty lenient. I've had some bad experiences. Um, basically, if it exists, it needs to be fully functional. So I had one horror story where the inspector shows up. We'd completely remodeled this. We were working with a gal who is more or less homeless, living in an unheated house in December. We were trying to get her into housing. The knob on the dishwasher was missing. Missing. That was the only thing that was missing. She denied her housing until we got the knob on the dishwasher. That's the worst I've ever seen. Generally speaking, though, 
most of the inspectors are pretty reasonable. They understand that, you know, hey, this knob on the dishwasher is coming. But, you know, they're generally looking at health and safety type stuff, right? Do, does the GFCI work? Are there smoke detectors? Is there exposed insulation, exposed wiring, right? It's pretty, that's all based on HUD. That's federal level stuff. So it's basically, is it safe? Um, you know, if there's a couple of nicks in the walls and, you know, minor things, that's fine. You know, is there hot water? Is there running water? Is there heat? Is the electrical safe? You know, is a two-year-old going to kill himself on that outlet kind of stuff? Gotcha. Okay. Just wanted to, wanted to check. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's so, not, don't, yeah. Don't, don't let the housing inspection spook you. It's not that big of a deal. Got it. Okay. So let's, uh, let's finish up just a couple more, a couple more questions here. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking between investing in Anchorage versus the Matsu Valley, obviously there are going to be pros and cons for both markets. Mm-hmm. So from your perspective, what are some of those pros and cons either way? Anchorage is more stable. However, I feel like the growth potential, it's kind of like a blue chip stock versus an emerging market, right? I think there's more potential for profit on the um, on the Matsu side. Um, I felt like a lot of the fourplexes out there for the last few years have been wildly overpriced. That may still be the case, but the rents in the valley are just so unbelievably are, are just climbing at an unbelievable rate right now that. Um, if I could build a sixplex right now, it would be in the Valley because of the lower taxes. However, you know, there's a lot to be said for buying in that, you know, in that big, it's a bedroom community at the end of the day, there's not a lot of jobs in the Valley either. And what you'll see is the migration patterns will flow with the price of gas. As gas prices go up, a lot of those commuters start to go, eh, I could save a lot of money by living in Anchorage. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we see it kind of, it kind of ebbs and flows, but Anchorage tends to be stable right now. But rents in the valley used to hover around a dollar per square foot. Um, they are well above that now. They're into that dollar 17 range now depending on the type. So I think there's a lot of potential in the Valley, a lot of potential in the Valley, but it's just with a slightly higher risk that you don't have the job stability and you'll see migration depend on as gas prices go up and they certainly are right now, you'll see people consider Anchorage again, just to save that money on gas. That's, that's a good point. All right. So this is just our last questions here. Um, what are some some risks associated with with really self like just using self management for like every property that you have in every situation? What are some risks associated with that for people uh, that are considering but, doing that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the first thing when somebody says, "I want to manage myself," now keep in mind, I just got done saying, "I'd like you to manage your own fourplex." 
you know, when you buy it, you know, when you buy that first investment property, I'd like you to manage it yourself for the first while. I'd still, I still stick by that. However, um, this can turn into a part-time job real fast. And you got to remember that when you go to Hawaii, you're still on the clock. You still have to address problems. A lot of people sort of, they think all I, like, all we do is, you know, we're an accounting firm that calls plumbers. You know, like all we do is collect rents. All we do is, you know, call a plumber when things go wrong. This is a lot more complex than that. I mean, we stay on top of federal law changes. We stay on top of case law. We stay on top of what's going on in, in the more kind of blue progressive states where, where laws tend to be a lot more tenant friendly because that will tend to like then follow in the other states later. Um, our job is, to, if we're really doing our job, you're going to think we're not doing anything. Just like you, right? Like, oh, I, ha I have friends all the time that are like, oh, I don't need an agent. All they did was drive me around, show me properties. What they didn't know is all the problems you solved that they never knew they had. And we're the exact same way. All the problems that they never knew they had or they never had, period, because I prevented it before it ever happened because I pour over every period in my lease to make sure that, you know, not, nothing happens, that, that landlord agreements are set up with the, with the utility companies, that, you know, that I know the difference, you know, I know how to qualify somebody for an early move out based on the SCRA. You know, it's, it's the, the depth at which we can get you out of the complicated problems and all the problems that we prevent before you ever had them. So I, yes, I would still encourage you to go manage yourself for that first investment. Then once you've, you, you've kind of gotten taste for how difficult this is, then call a property manager because you're not going to be able to scale as an investor if you don't. You just, you just can't. So... Yeah, and I think that's that's really huge because a lot of do-it-yourselfers get themselves into a lot of trouble mm -hmm. when it comes to these. Um, when it comes to trying to do real estate investing and not wanting to, to work with somebody that actually knows what they're doing, because yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I know what you're you're definitely saying. You need to kind of manage that first property on your own to kind of get a good understanding for it, and. Um, at least have a baseline understanding of what goes into the process. But if you're mm -hmm. wanting to scale and do anything, anything that's actually going to be life altering, you, you just can't do that on your own. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not my own attorney. We use our own attorneys too. Like, I think that's the mark of a professional is, is knowing, knowing what you don't know, right? Knowing when to defer to someone who, all right. Well, Eric, um, I really do appreciate your time, sir, and your expertise. Um, where can people go to find out more information about, uh, about you and your company? Sure. Absolutely. Go to the landlordsalmanac.com. If you're an investor and you want to network with other investors, um, go check that out. Look for the private group on Facebook. Um, we also have a website, which is the landlordsalmanac.com. And uh, you can check us out at rpm lastfrontier.com. So we do full service management of rental properties all the way from the Valley to Homer. 
And um, yeah, we'd uh, get, you know give us a call. You talk to uh, Dr. Kevin. He can get you all sorted out, get you an idea of what what property management costs, and uh, um, you know really depends on the property right now. Um, if you've got properties that are a little bit easier to manage, we generally can work with you as far as pricing as well. Because you know we know what what takes the what takes the hard work and what's what tends to be the stuff that's easier for us, and we try to pass that. You know, corny, but we pass that savings on to you. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, I do appreciate it then. Um, if any of you folks have questions about real estate, what's going on in general markets, certainly feel free to reach out to me at any of the links in the show notes down below. Reach out to Eric with any property management questions. And thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time. 